Hey guys, hey guys, welcome, welcome to you all, welcome to you all. Happy Easter to you all. Happy Easter to you all. Who is excited here? Anybody excited here? Woo! There's a bunch of people excited. I am Dr. Sam Purley, co-pastor of Hugh Church. I'm also a stem cell research scientist working in a Nobel Prize winning lab. And I do this because I love to people see people find meaning and purpose in their lives. And here we are at Hugh Church. We are a new church. We are a young church. We've been only around for a month. And so we are so excited and so glad that you chose to come here and join us today. This might be your first time walking into this place. And if so, I just want to give you a warm welcome. I'm so happy you are here, right here with us. I want you to know that today is going to be a special day for you. It's going to be the truly most special day that you will have this particular week. Each one of you are going to be walking away with joy. You're going to be walking away with peace. You're going to be walking away with hope in your life. And when I say each one of you, I mean you right there in the back. I mean you right here seated in the front. I mean you right here seated in the third row. I mean you seated here in this right wing. Each one of you are going to be walking away with joy and hope in your life. You see, Easter is the day we celebrate that Jesus rose up from the dead. Does it get you intrigued? What? What did I just say? Jesus rose up from the dead? What does it even mean? You know what? I don't know about you, but I can't wait to go to heaven and meet this Jesus. Who is this guy that rose up from the dead? That doesn't happen often, does it? I mean, how do we even believe this? That there was a guy who died and after three days, he just rose up from the dead? How can we believe this? In fact, how do we believe anything? Did anybody have coffee today? Anyone drank coffee? Right? I want to see your hands. Yes, yes. Okay, quite a few people. I love coffee. You, you guys love coffee. Yeah, yeah, coffee lovers. Now... I want to ask you, how do you know it's coffee? The smell? The taste? You know, a lot of things taste alike. For example, you can taste something that tastes like sugar, but it's not sugar. It might be an artificial sweetener. It might be just the flavor of coffee you had. How do you know that you actually drank coffee? Caffeine? Okay, coffee breath. <laughs> okay, so when the coffee internalizes. But honestly, we don't. You have no guarantee that what you actually drank was coffee. We just don't know that. How many of you filled gas recently in the past couple of days? Gas in your car? $5. Okay, $5. <laughs> I know, it's so expensive. I'm so sorry, guys. So if you fill gas in your car, you put in, say, five gallons in it, 10 gallons in it. How do you know you put in 10 gallons? Well, the machine says it's 10 gallons, but how do you know that the machine is accurate? You just trust. How do you know you're drinking 2% milk? You just trust. You have no way to validate that. You know, we humans believe in a lot of grand counterintuitive things as well. We believe in the Big Bang. Anybody knows about the Big Bang? Yeah? We believe that the Big Bang happened. Who saw the Big Bang? Anybody's? Yes, there's one guy who saw the Big Bang. <laughs> Kudos to you, right? That's, but we still believe that. We still believe the Big Bang happened. We believe that E to the J theta is cos theta plus J sine theta. We believe that the entropy of the universe always increases. 
But why? Have you done an experiment to prove that? Do you know that that is really the case? That in fact, these laws hold true? In theory, these are all reproducible, but only in theory. If each one of us were to go and try to validate every scientific claim out there, the whole enterprise of science would come to a grinding halt. We just accept the scientific consensus with trust. Trusting the people who have given us these results. That's how we do life. I am a scientist. And as a scientist, I engage my faculties in this process of trust-like faith when I do science. In fact, as a scientist, I do pretty crazy things. I want you to watch this video and I'll ask you a question. Go ahead and watch this video. What did you see? You saw black mice. They are not rat, they are mice. Rat are bigger. You saw black mice. But you know the history of these black mice? You know what I did to these mice? You know how did they come to be? Well, in the past, people thought that there are these cells called stem cells. Stem cells that give rise to every cell in our body. Whether it's bone, whether it's skin, whether it is blood, whether it is nerve, whether it's your heart cell, every cell in your body comes from the stem cells. And the interesting property of the stem cells is that they live forever. They proliferate indefinitely. They supply all the cells in our body. So when we are young, we have a lot of stem cells. And we get older and older, the stem cell population in our body decreases. There was this Japanese guy who lived the longest, who died lately. And when they discovered how many blood stem cells he had, he just had one. One blood stem cell was supplying all the blood in his body. An adult has about 45,000 stem cells. So people thought that stem cells that live forever give rise to all these differentiated cells that die. So you've got to have a population of stem cells to replenish the differentiated cells. But what do you do when the stem cells die? Well, you can't do anything. You die. Like the Japanese old person who passed away because he only had one last blood stem cell that was supplying all the blood in his body. Why not start with differentiated cells that are freely available, like blood, like skin, and convert them to stem cells so that everybody can have as much stem cells as they like. And it turns out that we were able to do that. All we needed to do was add four proteins to any of these cells, and they become pluripotent stem cells, meaning they become stem cells that can give rise to all tissues in the body. Isn't that crazy? Well, now that we found that this is possible, what we did was we took skin from mouse. The skin cells look like the following on your left, okay? The skin cells look like the following, mouse embryonic fibroblasts. And then we added four proteins to them and they became stem cells. And you know what I did? I took the stem cells, I implanted them in the uterus of female mice. And these stem cells gave rise to the mice that we just saw. These mice were born not because a mama mice and a papa mouse came together. These mice were born de novo from the stem cells I made in the lab. Sounds like magic? It is magic. But do you believe that? Do you believe that I did it? Do you believe that this is actually possible? Anybody believes that? Only one person. <laughs> Dr. Sam Perley, you're good for nothing, just making up stories. Yes, I don't exist. 
Well, it's true, we made it. In fact, our lab won the Nobel Prize for this discovery. That it is true that today we can make seals live forever. But why did you believe that? Why did Baba believe that? Why did a few of you believe that? Is it because you saw me in the video that it was in fact me recording the video? Is it because you saw me talk like an expert talking about stem cells? Is it because you saw that I was the witness to this and you believed my witness? Why did you believe what I just told you? Yes, you believed in me. You believed my witness. You believed what I was giving you to believe in. This is how belief works, friends. This is truly how we establish things like truth in this world. We accept with a trust-like faith. You know, but with things like resurrection, a person coming out of the grave, I mean, that's an extraordinary claim. That's crazy. That doesn't just happen all the time. How can a person who is once dead come back to life? That's an extraordinary claim. And for you and I to believe this extraordinary claim, what do we need? An extraordinary evidence. Extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. And without extraordinary evidence, we cannot believe in extraordinary claims like the claim that Jesus rose up from the dead. But friends, I want you to know today, on this Easter Sunday morning, that that is precisely what we have for the resurrection of Jesus. We have extraordinary evidence that Jesus, in fact, rose up from the grave. Are you excited? Yeah. Man, you want to explore the evidence? You want to see the evidence that Jesus actually rose up from the grave? Yeah. Well, I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to read to you a passage from the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 8. This is what it says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to save us. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is written by a person called Paul. Paul the apostle. And this was written right about 20 years from the time Jesus rose up from the grave. And he was writing to people to help them believe that this in fact has actually happened. That Jesus, in fact, rose up from the grave. And you know, he goes about listing evidence for this belief. He says, hey, Jesus not only rose up from the grave, but he appeared to people after he rose up from the grave. He appeared to a person called Cephas. He appeared to a person called James. He appeared to the 12 brothers. He appeared to these 12 disciples that Jesus had. And last of all, he also appeared to me. That's what this person was writing. Essentially, he was giving people an evidence to believe that Jesus actually rose up from the grave. So that's what we're going to do here as well. We're going to dig into the evidence that is available for the resurrection of Jesus. But I want to warn you. I will go ahead and list the evidence. But I, I want to warn you that once you look at this evidence, you will have no other choice but to go ahead and do your own research and believe in Jesus. I want to warn you, if you feel like, man, this evidence that is being presented is not something you want to engage in, don't bother listening to this sermon. Don't bother listening to my message. Just walk away. Because when you look at this evidence, you got to make a choice. You got to make a decision. Hey, if there is a person called Jesus who really rose up from the grave, what am I going to do with my life? 
Isn't all life about living long enough? Isn't all life about conquering the ultimate enemy of man, which is death? Don't people want to do whatever they can to avoid death in their lives? Well, there is a person, Jesus, who rose from the dead. And I want you to know, after I give you the evidence, you'll have to make a decision. Either you believe this, either you believe that Jesus is who he is, or you just walk away. You ignore that, but you got to make a decision. You got to make a choice. And I will give you an opportunity to make a decision about Jesus. To accept his claims. To believe who he said he really is. There is no other option for us than to make such a decision. So are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, so let's dig in. Let's dive into the evidence that we have. I title my message as 21 irrefutable lines of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. 21 irrefutable lines of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Now, if you want to refute them, if you want to challenge them, come find me in the lobby. We can have a deeper discussion. I would be glad to entertain such a discussion. So we're going to look at the first one. The first evidence is what I call the hostile witnesses. The hostile witnesses. Hostile witnesses are people that really are antagonistic to the event they believe in. That they actually want to quench such an evidence. Hostile witnesses are those who say that this never happened. But then they say that it actually happened. One such hostile witness was a person we looked at. His name is Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle lived right around the time of Jesus. He was a pious Jew. And this person was so radically stemmed in his own religion that he wanted to quench every person who said that Jesus rose from the dead. He was so zealous that when he found people saying that Jesus rose from the dead, he went and he killed them. He was the guy who oversaw the killing of Stephen, the first martyr for Jesus Christ. This guy was radical in his faith, in what he believed, that Jesus never rose from the dead. You know, this guy is a smart cookie. He went to the Ivy League of the rabbinical colleges of his time. This guy is Phi Beta Kappa. This guy is straight A's. This guy is the member of the National Academy of Sciences. Why would a person like that need to believe that Jesus died for his sins and rose up from the grave? This person, Paul, was the one who wrote the scripture that we just studied. That Jesus who rose from the grave also appeared to me. I once was a person who didn't believe that, but now I believe it. And not only Paul the Apostle, we have many hostile witnesses, including Jesus' own brothers. Jesus' own family did not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They didn't even believe that Jesus was God incarnate, came in flesh. If there is any radical claim I make about myself, you know the first person that opposes me? My brother. He'd be like, dude, I know you, man. You're God incarnate? Stop kidding, stop fooling around with me. Well, we have his own brother James, who later believed that Jesus is in fact who he is, that he is God incarnate, and he becomes a pillar of the church. We have innumerable hostile witnesses for this event. We are not talking about what the Bible says. We are talking about the people that oppose the Bible say about Jesus. So the first evidence we have is hostile witnesses. The next evidence that we have is eyewitness accounts. You see, you just saw me show a video of mice I built in the lab. You saw my face there. You saw that I have a first-person relationship to the events I am describing. 
you believe me because I am an eyewitness to the things that I am describing. That's what we have for Jesus' life. All of the four books of the Bible that describe Jesus' life were written by eyewitnesses, people that knew him well. These are people such as a carpenter's son that are describing what happened to Jesus. The people who wrote these eyewitnesses' accounts are people such as a doctor, people such as a fisherman, a person who was a tax collector, another person who would have been close to a terrorist. People from different walks of life, people who hung out with Jesus from different socioeconomic status have seen his life and they have recorded their eyewitnesses. You know, this is very different from the telephone game kids play. Do you know the telephone game kids play? You know, the first kid watches something, listens to something and they relay that to the next kid. And the next kid doesn't watch anything, only hears what the first kid said, he relays that. They relate that to the next kid. And they keep relaying it. By the time it comes to the last kid, it is so garbled from what the first kid saw. Because it's not an eyewitness account. But that's not what we have for Jesus. What we have for Jesus are people who have seen him, lived with him, talked with him, ate with him, giving us an account for his life. They not only give us an account, they paid that account with their blood. The next kind of evidence we have is what we call the martyr's evidence. The martyr's evidence. Martyr's evidence are people who actually give their life for what they are believing. You know, a lot of people say that Jesus actually did not rose up from the dead, but in fact, his disciples made up the story. They just stole the body of Jesus and they created the story that, hey, Jesus rose up from the dead, believe it. Well, let me ask you. Yes, there are people who give their lives for things that they believe. But nobody would dare to give their life for a lie they themselves make up. They know that it's a lie they made up. They know that Jesus never rose from the dead and they make up this lie. Why would they give their life for that lie? Not one, not two, but hundreds and thousands of people who saw Jesus give their lives for Jesus. In fact, one such person was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. His name is Thomas. St. Thomas, one of the people that never believed, a hostile witness that Jesus actually rose up from the dead. You know what Thomas did? Man, this is so crazy, so incredible that a person rose up from the grave and I get to touch him, I get to feel him, I get to see that he's a resurrected man and now I'm going to go to the ends of the world and I'm going to tell about him to other people. So he traveled thousands of miles and he came to a place, a country in India and he came there and he told people, hey, I have seen the resurrected Christ and when he came and he told that, People did not like that. And they killed him. They speared him. In fact, where he was killed is called the St. Thomas Mount. I went to school not too far from this place. I visited this place. I saw what he witnessed about Jesus. What he said about Jesus. He gave his life for that testimony. We have the martyr's evidence. People who gave their lives for this truth that Jesus rose up from the dead. The next kind of evidence we have is the timing evidence. You know, a lot of people think that, well, maybe it's a legend. You know, when you love somebody, when they leave you, you love them so much that you create some myth about that person. You create a legend that, you know, this person was so great. You know, my great-great-grandfather was so great. He owned a whole country. Well, that's a myth. That's a legend I just made up. But, you know, it can sell because... I am so far away from my grandfather. Nobody knows my great-great-grandfather. Nobody has seen him. Because a lot of time has passed from my great-great-grandfather's life to today. 
so I can make up legends and myths about my ancestry because a lot of time has elapsed. But with Jesus' account of resurrection, we don't have that liberty. The people who talked about Jesus' life and his resurrection started writing manuscripts, started writing fragments that in fact he rose up from the grave. Within 20 years, we have fragments that records Jesus' resurrection. If you look at the fragment evidence we have, within 25 years, we have fragments, people writing that Jesus rose up from the dead within 25 years from Jesus' life. Well, if you compare that with other historical accounts, it's mind-blowing. For example, things about Caesar. Anybody knows Julius Caesar? Well, if you don't know, you know the month July. It's named after Julius Caesar. The fact that Julius Caesar existed is something we take for granted. You know how many years passed from the time Julius lived and to having a first fragment of a manuscript? It passed 200, oh, actually 844 years. But for Jesus' resurrection, within 25 years. So with Caesar, you can talk about how Caesar was the emperor of the whole world. Caesar conquered every non-nation out there and it might be accepted. Why? Because 844 years passed for myths to develop, for legends to develop, for him to be glorified and be treated as God, what's all. But not with Jesus. Only 25 years passed. And we have such a short time for such a legend to develop. Dr. William Lindcraig, he is a New Testament scholar studying manuscripts evidence. He says that one of the major problems with the legend hypothesis is that the time gap between Jesus' death and the writing of the Gospels is just too short. Too short for this to have happened. Too short for legends to have come up. Too short for myths to have been developed. That's the timing evidence. Now we go forward. We also have another kind of evidence called the historian's evidence. Historians are people who study history. And there are many people who lived in Jesus' time that were historians, that were recording history, that were recording the events of their own time. And one such historian is Flavius Josephus. Flavius Josephus is known as the key historian categorizing Jewish history for you and I. Flavius Josephus, looking at his writings, it can be considered the encyclopedia of Jewish culture around Jesus' time. He in fact was born just a few years after Jesus rose up from the dead in the same town in Jerusalem. He lived there and he talked to people there and he records what people said about Jesus. As far as we know, Flavius Josephus was not a Christian. We don't know he was hostile to Christianity, but we don't know if he was Christian either. And Flavius Josephus, he writes the following. At this time, in the time that Flavius lived, there was a wise man who was called Jesus and his conduct was good and was known to be virtuous. And many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, Maybe, perhaps, he was the Messiah which the Jews believe was supposed to come concerning whom the prophets have recounted wonders. This is Flavius Josephus talking about Jesus' resurrection. A historian has no bias against anybody, if at all having a negative bias against Jesus starting a new religion being a Jew. He writes that that's what people believed that Jesus actually rose up from the dead. Now, whether or not that's true, I don't know, but people believe that. That's what his disciples believe. That's what everybody around are believing, that Jesus rose up from the dead three days after. 
And not just Flavius Josephus, we have Tacitus, we have Suetonius, we have Pliny the Younger, many other historians in Jesus' time writing that this in fact is what has happened. And we go forward, not just historians' evidence, how about the diversity evidence? Okay, let us say Jesus rose up from the grave. And how do we believe that? Well, let's see the accounts. What are people saying about Jesus' resurrection? Well, we have Jesus appearing to people. But if you look at the diversity of appearances of Jesus, it's mind-blowing. You say Jesus appears to people one-on-one. Jesus appears to people when there are multiple people. Jesus appears to 500 people at the same time. Jesus appears to people in Jerusalem in the south. Jesus appears to people in Galilee in the north. Jesus appears to people while eating and talking. Jesus appears to people while they are resting. Jesus appears to people and walks with them. Jesus spends time with them for a short period of time, for a long period of time. Jesus comes when they were expecting Jesus to come. Jesus doesn't come sometimes. And when they were not expecting, Jesus shows up. The diversity of appearances of Jesus are mind-blowing. It is not a legend because why would you have so many people writing this? Were they hallucinating? But how could so many people hallucinate across all genders, across all contexts, across different numbers of people, whether it's night, whether it's day, whether it's in the south, whether it's in the north, whether it's in different places. The Bible says that Jesus spent 40 days with his disciples, his followers, giving them many, many proofs that in fact, he is Jesus that rose up from the dead. The diversity is mind-blowing. Well, going forward, we have what I call the Jewish evidence. The Jews are people that live in Middle East. You might be seeing about uh, what's happening in the Middle East right now in Palestine, where there is a conflict happening between the Jews and the Palestinians, between Israel and Palestine. See, Jews, the interesting thing about them was Jews were very peculiar. They were a peculiar kind of people. The Jews lived around different empires. Very close to them were the Egyptians. Not too far from them were the Greeks. And people who conquered them were the Romans. They lived in the confluence of all these cultures. And what's interesting about the cultures the Jews lived amongst was that all these cultures had their gods. Humans that were worshipped as gods. Romans, they worshipped Caesar as divine. We had the Greeks that had their own demigods. And then we had the Egyptians that worshipped Pharaoh as God. But the Jews, never, never, never before Jesus, never, never, never after Jesus, worshipped any human being as deity. It is against their culture. It is against what they believe to be true. It is against their grain of their ethos. To worship a human as God. That is unthinkable to the Jews. But devout, pious Jews who were born and steeped in this culture, they worship Jesus. Who was born as human. Why would devout Jews worship Jesus who was born as human? If not, he is God. If not, he is who he is. Well, going forward, we have what I call the prophetic evidence. Prophetic evidence is what Blaise Pascal calls one of the most intelligible and convincing proofs that Jesus is who he is. The prophetic evidence is the evidence from the scriptures in the Old Testament. Scriptures that were written hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus. Things that prophesy were going to happen to a person called the Messiah. For example, in Psalm 22, it talks about how there was going to be a person that is going to come and give and be pierced by people and be put nails in his hands. And thousands of years later, Romans came, invented the cross, invented the crucifixion, and crucified Jesus. 
How could this prophecy be fulfilled in Jesus? Isaiah 53 talks about how Jesus was going to be slaughtered like a lamb without any voice. How could Isaiah write this 700 years before Jesus if not for an intelligible person guiding these events behind? Call God. Blaise Pascal says the prophecies concerning Jesus are an evidence that Jesus is who he is written hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus. There are 400 such prophecies concerning the birth, the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus that are fulfilled in Jesus' life. How could this be the case? If not, Jesus is God incarnate and came down as flesh. That is the prophetic evidence. When we go forward, what was the next one? We have the manuscript evidence. I love this. The manuscript evidence. As I mentioned, there were people recording what Jesus was doing in his life right at the time of Jesus. But also the sheer number of records. The sheer number of writings we have about Jesus. If you look at the graph, you see how many manuscripts we have about Jesus. If you just take the Greek New Testament, that's 5,856 manuscripts that are there about Jesus. You look at all languages, you're looking at 23,000. Oh, look at Caesar. Look at Homer's Iliad, the Trojan War. We have 200. We have maybe 1,000 manuscripts. The number of manuscripts itself is mind-blowing. The number of people who recorded the evidence about Jesus is unbelievable. And it's a lot. Well, the next evidence is what I call the medical evidence. The medical evidence, essentially, there are some people that argue that, well, maybe Jesus never died to rise again. Jesus just was maybe punished. And Pilate, the governor, just punished Jesus. But Jesus never died. Jesus actually was never in the grave to rise up again. Well, the gospel writer John, this is what he writes. He says in John chapter 19, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Why would John record this? Well, he thought it was interesting that blood and water came out of Jesus' side. And a lot of people thought, what does it mean to have blood and water come out? Well, you pierce someone, you get blood out. What is blood and water? Well, apparently, later medical evidence shows that when a person is crucified, they create a pericardial sac where all fluid in the body keeps accumulating. And especially you have blood and water accumulate. And when you are pierced, you actually get both blood and water gushing out from the body. And that's what we see about Jesus. Jesus literally died. And in fact, let us say Jesus never died. But for him to come back in three days with full health, completely healed, with all that scourging that Jesus experienced would be unthinkable. The medical evidence points to the fact that Jesus actually died. Well, we go ahead. The lack of shrine. This is what I call the lack of shrine evidence. You see, Jesus lived in Palestine. And in Palestine, people built shrines. In the time of Jesus, there were already 50 shrines that existed around his time. What are these shrines? Well, these are memories of their followers. These are things such as the, the um, leader's body, the leader's ashes, or the leader's bones, or the garments that the leader has. You know, Jesus' followers were very poor. And if they wanted to make money, create a story, it would have been so easy for them to build a shrine. Build a shrine, let all the pilgrims come and pay them the money for the shrine. When Jesus lived, there were many shrines around. I mean, the Muslims, they have the Medina. 
That's what Middle Eastern people do. Not just Middle Eastern people, everywhere. The, the Confucianists, they have their own kifu. The Baha'i faith people, they have their own shrine. People build shrines for their leaders when their leaders die. Why is there no shrine for Jesus? Why is there no place where, hey, this is where Jesus' body is? Because he rose up from the dead. His disciples never even thought about building a shrine because he is not dead. He is alive and well. Well, next, what I call is the women's evidence. You know, let's imagine that somebody created a story that Jesus rose up from the dead. If you look at the account, it says the first people to witness that Jesus rose up from the dead is the women. The women were the ones who first saw Jesus rose up from the dead. And they were the ones who told other people that Jesus rose up from the dead. But the problem with the Palestinian culture, especially Hellenized by the Romans and the Greeks, was that women's witness is not accepted. If you can have 100 women on the street witness a murder and these 100 women go to the judge and say this person committed the murder, all 100 women, still the accused can walk free because the woman's witness is not valid. If someone were to create a story with women as the primary witnesses, it would be baloney. Nobody would accept that. Hey, you know, we don't accept women witnesses. So why were the women the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection? Well, it's because that's what actually happened. And not only does it say the women saw Jesus, it actually has very embarrassing details that the women, they saw Jesus, but they couldn't recognize him because they didn't expect Jesus to walk out of the grave. It talks about how the women were surprised and perplexed. Hey, what does this mean? That there is a person who is walking out of the grave. It has all kinds of embarrassing details of doubt that people had when they saw Jesus. Guys, I can keep going on. There are these 21 evidences I would love to expound to you. But, you know, in the interest of time, I will skip ahead. Find me in the lobby. I can walk you through those. But one thing I'll close with is the expert's evidence. The expert's evidence. You know, Jesus' resurrection, it gives a lot of people hope in who Jesus is. And his resurrection is not limited to his time. People thousands of years spanning across different countries, different cultures have found hope in this resurrection part of Jesus. Well, if you go to Boston, you go to MIT, Kevin Ford is one of the uh, chaplains at MIT, you'll find this tower that has all these scientists inscribed on them. You have people like Newton, Copernicus, and all kinds of people. And the interesting fact about all these experts of science is that they all, most of them, if not all of them, believed in Jesus. Believed that the resurrection actually happened. That this is the truth. The experts believe that Jesus actually rose up from the grave. And not just that, Anybody here in the sciences or math or computer science or machine learning, could you recognize this equation up here? Anybody? Yes, I heard a base theorem. Probability of x given y is probability of y given x times probability of x divided probability of y. This is the base theorem. You know why this theorem is so important? This is what's behind all machine learning. This is what's behind all artificial intelligence. This equation is what people use to build self-driving cars. This equation is what people use to build chat GPT. This equation is what is behind your Siri, your Alexa, behind your Google Assistant is this equation. But who was Bayes? Why did he write this equation? Well, Thomas Bayes was an English priest who lived in the 18th century. He was the one who came up with this equation. You know why he came up with this equation? 
Because he had many friends who had trouble believing that Jesus rose from the dead. For him, that equation was actually this. The equation was probability that the resurrection happened given the evidence is probability of the evidence given the resurrection times probability of the resurrection actually happening divided by the probability of the evidence. That's why he wrote the equation. That's what he was trying to prove. The posterior event that you believe in the resurrection can be linked to the prior event that the resurrection actually happened given the evidence. That you can have a reasonable faith. Yes, it's hard to believe an extraordinary claim like this. But I want you to know, whoever you are, there is a, no doubt that this actually happened. The resurrection of Jesus is as established a truth as 2 plus 2 equals 4, my dear friends. This happened. And now it comes back to us. What do we do with this? What do we do that a person actually who was dead rose up from the grave? What do we make of this? Why did he do this? Why did he come, take a human form? Why did he rise up back to life? Well, we read Romans chapter 8, and this is what it says. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, that same spirit will give you life, friends. That same spirit will also bring you back to life. Even though you die, even though you're in the grave, even though you are gone and forgotten, that one day because you believed in Jesus, because of his spirit that lives in you, you will come back to life. That's what the Bible says. That's why Jesus came and gave his life for you and I. Jesus said, if you believe in me, even though you die, you will raise back to life. That is the part of Jesus. That's who Jesus is. You know, Christianity is so different from all the religions and worldviews out there, guys. You know, every religion, every worldview out there, they want you to measure up to God. To do what things that God pleases and not do the things that God doesn't please. They prescribe a system of do's and don'ts so that you can be acceptable by God. In all religions, a human works up to God. They cross levels and gradations. Finally, God accepts them. But in Christianity, it's the opposite. God steps down to man. God comes down to man and says, all you got to do is believe in me. I have done all that is needed for you to be with me. You don't have to measure up. You don't have to live a certain way. All you got to do is believe in me. I will help you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity is based on a relationship with God. It is not a set of rules to live by. It is not legalistic, legalistic uh, religion to live by. It is a relationship with God. And the basis of Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus. After Jesus died, all his followers, disciples, they were afraid and they fled. They thought their leader was killed. That they have no hope in their lives. They were covering with fear. Hiding themselves in case they would be next in line to be killed. But after Jesus rose up from the grave, they became bold. 
They became strong in their faith. They began telling everybody about Jesus so much so that even if people killed them, they wouldn't stop. That Jesus actually rose up from the grave. You know, friends, I told you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision. You heard this. You heard that Jesus rose up from the grave. You've seen the evidence. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to just walk away? Are you going to be a person that listens to this and think about it and leave? You know what I said? Extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. But I also want you to know, extraordinary evidence demands extraordinary change. Extraordinary evidence demands extraordinary change. And that change must come from you today, friends. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to change your life about it? What are you going to do to come up with this change in your life? We got to change. We got to come and face with the fact of resurrection. You know, I grew up in a family that expected a lot from their kids. They expected their kids to be perfect. They expected their kids to be well-behaved. They expected their kids to bring honor to their family. But that was too much for me. I knew I wasn't perfect. I knew that there was a lot going on in my life. And so you know what I did? I faked it. I faked a perfect life. I lived a life of hypocrisy. To my parents, to my brother and sister, to my family. I was this nice, well-behaved kid that always does everything well. But to my friends outside, I was the most notorious naughty kid. I did a bunch of things, guys. I robbed stores. I vandalized property. The cops cited me multiple times. That was me. That was my life. But I was happy because I could just continue to live this life because nobody knows. Nobody knows my brokenness. Yeah, sure enough, I could go around doing all my stuff as long as I can keep it a secret. As so there was one day, I walked into my home. And there was my mom there sitting in the living room and she started talking to me. She said, Sam, what's happening with your life? What are you doing with your life? Why are you behaving the way you are? She started telling me things that I thought nobody knew. That I thought I kept a secret from my own mom. As she began to disclose all these secrets I hid from her, tears started rolling my eyes. I thought nobody knew. I thought I kept my life a secret. But now it's out in the open. My mom knows how messed up I am. The way I'm living my life. My mom tell, told me, Sam, you know the reason you're crying? You know the reason you're repentant? is because God's calling you. God's inviting you to open up yourself. No point hiding. God knows all your life but he still loves you. That's the best kind of love. Love that knows every bit of bad you've done. How evil you are, but still loves you anyways. And so she asked me, Sam, if you're willing, would you pray with me? Would you invite Jesus into your life? And he will come in and he will transform you. And so she said, pray. So I said, sure, mom. Lead me in the prayer. So this is what she said. She said, cry out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry 
And so I said, Jesus, I am sorry. She said, I believe that you came for me and you paid for my sin. I said, Jesus, I believe that you came for me and paid for my sin. She said, Jesus, I believe that you rose up from the dead. And I said, Jesus, I believe that you rose up from the dead. And so help me, God, to live for you. So I said, help me, God, to live for you. And I prayed that prayer. And all my burdens, all the heaviness in my heart vanished away. I didn't have to hide from anybody. I didn't have to live this life of hypocrisy. I didn't have to live a secret life anymore. Because the one who knows all secrets has forgiven me. And I became new. Friends, you are here today. And I know there are things rolling in your heart. Things that you have done. Things that you are so ashamed to admit. Things that you think that nobody knows. But I want you to know that Jesus is here. Jesus the resurrected Lord is here. And he has come to help you along. To give you a new life. You got to make a choice. You got to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? Would you welcome him? Would you invite him? Would you open up to him and say, here I am, Jesus. Give yourself to him. It doesn't matter what the person next to you is thinking. You look at the person next to you, they are not perfect. They need Jesus too. Everybody needs Jesus. There is no reason to be ashamed. There is no reason to believe in the one who conquered death. Maybe for some of you, your heart is pacing. Your heart is throbbing. Because you know that God's been calling you. Because you know that Jesus has been always reaching out to you. But you never answered the call. Maybe you're thinking, maybe next week. Maybe next month. Or maybe next Easter, I can make a choice about Jesus. But friends, you don't know what the future holds. Today is the day of salvation. Today is your day. Today is your special day. Today can be your spiritual birthday. I want to ask so. Is there anybody? Anybody that want to believe in Jesus? Anybody that want to believe in the resurrected Lord? Please raise your hand. It's okay. God's watching. Anybody? Anybody that want to give their life to Jesus? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody? Anybody that want to give their life to Jesus? Seated right here. You know Jesus is watching. You know Jesus has been calling. Anybody that want to give their life to Jesus? Anybody right here? Anybody? Friends, this can be a life changer for you. This day, you got to make a choice. The resurrected Lord is here. I want to invite all of you to pray with me. I know there are things in your heart that you've been struggling with. You might have walked in with so many burdens, but Jesus is here. And He is going to help you. And I ask you to pray with me so you can invite Him into your heart and He can show you the way forward. Do you want to pray? Yes, let us pray together. So Jesus, we are sorry, God. Sorry for the way we've lived our life. But we ask you, would you forgive our sins? 
I believe Jesus that you died for me. And that you rose again. So would you come? Lead me. Be my Lord. May your resurrection power flow through me today, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.